0: last night good morning again church glad that you're here this morning if you have your bibles we are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of revelation we are in chapter eight if you need a bible just raise your hand and kevin will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us revelation chapter eight For the sake of time, we shall, uh, we'll read as we go along the text. I looked up at the clock up during first service and said, Oh my goodness, we got so much more to go. So we're going to try and save a little bit of time. But the title of my message this morning is The Four Trumpets of Doom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to be in this place. And to know, Holy Spirit, that you are here teaching us, instructing us and what your Word says about how we should be living our lives now as we await your return and about what's going to be happening in the future, Lord, That as you bring judgment upon this earth. Lord, we pray that you give us not only information but application in our lives. As we leave this place this morning, we have fallen more in love with you and your Word than when we came through the doors. Father, we pray if there's anyone that has joined us that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you. Lord, help them to know how much you love them. Lord help them to turn from their sin today and turn to you. Thank you for this time, Lord. We give it to you in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I don't know if you heard about Uncle Sid. Uncle Sid, after returning from the Korean War, was arrested on a burglary charge and found guilty. But before the judge passed the sentence, Sid's lawyer tried one more tactic. He said, Your Honor, my client did not break into the house. The living room, living room window was open, so he inserted his right arm and he, he removed a few items. Now, my client's arm is not my client, so I don't think you should punish him for an offense committed by one of his limbs. Well, the snooty judge replied, Well, that's an interesting argument. Tell you what I'll do. I'll follow your logic and sentence to the defendant's arm to uh, sentence your defendant's arm to one year in prison. He can accompany it if he wants to or not. That's up to him. Well, that's when a big grin came over Sid's face. He calmly removed his artificial arms, handed it to the dumbfounded judge, and walked out of the courtroom with his lawyer. The men laughed all the way home. Listen, there are a lot of folks like Sid who've learned how to beat the system. They have always seemed to avoid judgment. They sin with impunity. Uh, Punishment always gets avoided. But one day, all that will end when these trumpets of doom start to blow. God will see to it that justice will be served once and for all. You know, when we think about God's judgment, sometimes people will say, well, I believe in a God that's not judgmental. That sounds all fine and good, but can I restate what you're really saying? Here, what you're really saying is, I believe in a God who doesn't care about right and wrong. That's really what you're saying. Well, let me be a little more blunt. You're saying, I believe in a God that I just made up in my head. You see, listen, if God is really a loving God, He's also going to be a just God. That's what the Bible tells us. The love of God makes him a righteous judge. And judgment is what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, I have to tell you, it's not a really enjoyable topic. In fact, God would agree and say the same thing in his word. Ezekiel thirty-three eleven says, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? See, we've been going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, the book of Revelation, and we need to remember what Revelation is all about. It's the unveiling. It's the uncovering. It comes from the Greek word apocalyptus, meaning to show or expose to view. It's like when a sculptor pulls the, the, the sheet off of the sculpture that he just created. It reveals what's underneath. This is what we've been looking at. This is what we've been studying. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling of the person and the plan of Jesus. It's showing us Jesus in all of his grace, but also showing us Jesus in his judgment. See, God's plan and idea in writing this book is that we would see Jesus more clearly. And that even in the face of difficulty, even in the face of troubling times, we will have comfort and peace because we know as believers that God is still on His throne and God is still in complete control about what's going on. And my desire as we teach through this book is that we would fall increasingly and more in love with Jesus Christ as our hearts and our eyes are focused upon Him. And that we would see the importance of of loving one another but even a step further than that, that God would give us a passion and a compassion for those that are lost, for those that don't know Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Jesus was talking about one of the leading indications of the last days is that the love of many will grow cold. The love spoken of here is not only just a love for one another, But it's a love for the Lord. That our love for the Lord in the last days is going to grow cold. Well, What causes a loss of passion and affection for the Lord? The answer is simple. Lawlessness. Lawlessness is the rejection of the will of God in society that results then in rampant wickedness. I mean, just look at how much harder it is for a person to to be a police officer in the world we live in today. 20 years ago, it was even easier than it is today. Why? Because lawlessness in our society, the world's getting worse and worse. You know, and I tell you, depending on the outcome on Tuesday night, I mean, I imagine we're going to see a whole lot more lawlessness in our land. But Jesus said, lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold. And we're seeing that today. Lawlessness, the recent California bill AB 2218 that passed the California Senate, passed the California Senate. The Governor Newsom signed it September twenty six, establishing a fund to provide puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones for children. Top of that, the California Teachers Union wants kids to pursue gender transition without parental consent. Horrible. Or the uh, man that was running for president, Beto O'Rourke, promising to strip tax-exempt status from churches and religious schools, not just for actually discriminating against LGBT, but but people for simply speaking in opposition to same-sex marriage. So according to him, and our, if I preach God's word that calls homosexuality a sin, which the Bible calls it, then we can lose our tax-exempt status. So be it. We don't come to church because of a tax-exempt status. We're still going to have church. Not only that, the lawlessness we see, that every year there are an estimated 40 to 50 million abortions, 125,000 abortions uh, per day worldwide. In the U.S., that equates to about 3,000 abortions per day. 22% of all pregnancies in the U.S.A., excluding miscarriages and an abortion. Lawlessness. We're seeing it. Our nation is at a crossroads. I shared this a few months back, and I think it's especially important that I share this again. It's a bold statement that I may have offended people back a couple months ago, and I may offend you again, and it won't be the first time I'll offend you again at some point. But I say this this with as much love and passion and respect, and as clear as I possibly can, you cannot call yourself a Christian and endorse a Democrat for president. Because a Democrat running for president must agree with the Democratic platform and that platform is what pushes same-sex marriages. It it promotes the the killing of the unborn, the murdering of the unborn. Don't misunderstand me. You can be a Democrat and you can be against abortion and and against same-sex marriage. But if you're running for president, you cannot oppose it. You must agree with your party's platform. Here's the problem. If you support someone who is for those things that God is against, then the Bible says you're just as guilty as the one who practices such things. Romans chapter 1, verse 32. Who, knowing the judgment, righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. My point is, and we're seeing this today, there are many churches who call themselves Christian churches who are supporting these things. The acceleration of wickedness, Jesus says, is even going to have an effect on those who are in the church, resulting in carnality and compromise. And we're seeing more and more of that today. Compromise and carnality in churches. People's hearts turning against each other through pride and bitterness. Families breaking up over political stances. In church, compromise. We're seeing once sold out Christians are now engaged in sin. People have been involved in solid churches for years, walking away from the Lord, totally unrepentant. It's sad and it's heartbreaking. And it's not as if they've completely turned against God and are living reprobate lives, but they have nothing to do with the Lord anymore or with the things of God. Now, why is this kind of thing happening? Because it's a fulfillment of what Jesus said would be happening in the last days that the love of many that people had for the Lord will grow cold. Listen, now is not the time to be living a compromised life. Now is not the time to be putting the Lord on a back burner. Especially now is not the time to be flirting with sin. So if you're even... Thinking about it, I plead with you today, stop, turn from it. It's not worth it. That's one of the reasons I'm really glad we're going through the book of Revelation. As difficult as this section is going to be this morning, it shows us that the great tribulation is not going to be a fun time on this earth. It's so necessary and of great importance to consider the times in which we're living in. And my prayer is, again, if you're playing around with sin, if you're flirting with f- fulfilling temptations, if you've dropped your guard, that this morning, as we work through this portion of Scripture, it'll literally scare the hell out of you. And I don't mean that in a profane way. Because hell is a real place, and I don't want anyone to go there. I want you to come to the place where you see the end time scenario so clearly that we are going to want to stay from anything that would draw us away from our relationship with God. We want to stay from from anything that that would take us away from what God's best is for our lives. Stay away from anything that has the potential of destroying our walks with God. Instead, we want to desire to walk even closer with the Lord as possibly as we can. So if the studies scary in a walking with God and following Him and forsaking sin in the world, praise God. If reading about God's wrath and God's judgment to come to this earth draws us closer to the Lord, then God, let, let's hear it. Now at this point, some of you are thinking, boy, Pastor Tom, that was a really heavy introduction. Can I go home now? <laughs> can we be done this morning? I'm sorry. It's nothing compared to what we're going to be looking at in chapter 8. If you're taking notes, we have four points this morning, and it's really the four trumpets of doom. It's the four angels, or the four trumpets, the first trumpet, the second trumpet, the third trumpet, and the fourth trumpet. Now, let me set the scenario for you if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks. We saw in chapter 6 really an overview of the great tribulation period. Jesus is a lamb that was slain. Now he's worthy to take the scroll, open it, which contains the final seven years on earth. Then we looked at Revelation chapter 7 and what we call a parentheses in the store. We saw 144,000 uh, people, Jews, uh, as God pours His Spirit out upon the nation of Israel, 144,000 uh, specifically that will put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We're going to see modern, well, we're not going to see it, we'll, we'll be in heaven, but there'll be modern day Apostle Pauls walking this earth. Could you imagine a Paul living in this day in this day and age? And so 144,000 of them getting the, the message of the gospel out. And though the Antichrist is hunting down uh, committed Christians and hunting down Jews and seeking to persecute them, God puts a special seal upon this 144,000 and they're going to come through the Great Tribulation period. And as a result of them, we're probably going to see uh, uh, the largest spiritual awakening that the world will ever know. So then beginning in chapter 8... We see the opening of the seventh seal and we pick up the chronology of the book of Revelation. Look now at verse 1 of chapter 8. When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now there are some commentators that have said that this just proves there are going to be no women there. Silence in heaven about a... okay, I would never say that. I'm just saying some commentators... I've said that it's no woman there. Actually, there's been a whole lot written about uh, what this silence in, in heaven is all about. Now, I don't claim to know it exactly, but from what I can see, it's like a calm before the storm. There's a, a soberness, a quietness in heaven because prior to this, I mean, there's a lot of noise going on. Every time we see the, the scene in heaven, it's before the throne and they're worshiping and, and incense is going up and the prayers of the saints are going up and it's a very worshipful scene. And then all of a sudden here in this chapter, all of that stops. Just, just, just deathly silence. It's like the Father saying, shh. And there's nothing. We we'll read here for about a half an hour. Now, I would imagine an eternity that half hour is going to seem like an eternity. But when all of heaven just gets, gets a glimpse of what's coming, I believe this is the hush before the storm. In fact, Zephaniah 1 verse 7 says, Stand in silence in the presence of the Sovereign Lord, for the awesome day of the Lord's judgment has come. See, I believe this moment of silence marks a transition from the grace of God to the judgment of God. You know, it's like the sentencing uh, section in the courtroom as you await the announcement from the jury foreman and the trial's been going on for months. And the foreman stands up and says, we, the members of the jury, find the defendant. And this is quiet, guilty. And then the sentence. That's what's happening here. See, God always gives fair Warning. People like to criticize God for thinking he has a right to judge the world and and the way he will do it, but he always gives fair warning. Turn from your sin and I'll protect you. Turn from your sin. I'll save you. I like the story of a man named Jim Davis who was a grocery store clerk, loved his job, prided himself on his good work. Now, one of the pet peeves was out-of-control children, toddlers, and parents who don't deal with them and parents who yell at their kids were in the store but they do nothing to correct their their child's obnoxious behavior. Well one evening Jim was checking out a customer who had a shopping cart full of groceries while ringing up a cell a child behind him began screaming very loudly and an angry man responded by shouting get down! What a jerk thought Jim without even looking up. He kept on calling out the prices and moving the groceries past the scanner. The kid behind him was still crying Heard the man yell again, get down. Sheesh, talk about poor parroting, thought Jim. This guy's a total jerk. Kept on checking the groceries out without looking up. Finally, finishing the customer's cart, Jim looked up and said, that'll be eighty nine madam Seeing no one, he looked around and noticed that everyone, including his customer, was lying face down upon the floor. And he turned around just in time to see a gunman leave the store. The checker behind him, still lying on the floor, calmly said, Jim, you know when you heard the second time, uh, get down, his gun was pointed right at your head. You see, we can get so accustomed to the noise of our culture and the distractions in this world that when we hear some warning of utmost importance, we blow it off like it's no big deal. How many times have we been warned that God's judgment is coming? Get right with Christ. Get right or get left. You know, you heard that phrase. Be it from your grandmother, your grandfather, from your own kids, or friends or relatives. We hear so much, yet so often people ignore that message. Oh, it means for someone else. I'm okay. We usually go on business as usual. Listen, you put yourself at great risk when you blow off an important message, one that can save your life. Because there will come a time when there is no more opportunities to act on that message. There will come a time when when God has no other alternative than to act in judgment against those who have deliberately, continually rebelled against Him as as man has for the last 6,000 years. So again, the silence in heaven really marks the climax of events. We have about a half hour of this awe, striking fear, producing absolute silence. W. A. Criswell says it's an intense silence of expectancy, a silence of omnis omin- ominous foreboding. I think no response could um, no response could more adequately prepare one for the terror that lies ahead than silence. That's the picture. Now look at verse two. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now, the opening of the seventh seal will produce the seven trumpets, which announces severe judgments coming upon the earth through the seven-year great tribulation period, spoken of the seventh week of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. The seventh seal is really the beginning of God's great wrath. The judgment of the tribulation will now increase in their intensity Now, these trumpets, they don't follow the seventh seal. They come out of the seventh seal. They're a part of the seventh seal. Now, this is also true for the bowls of wrath that we'll look at in the coming weeks, which later come out of the seventh trumpet. It's kind of like, you know, those 4th of July fireworks. When one goes up and has a big explosion, oh, that's cool. Then all of a sudden, there's another round of from the same firework. That explodes and another one comes out of that. And that's kind of what's going on here. In other words, the seventh seal opens the first trumpet, the seventh trumpet opens the the first bowl, and they all came from the original scroll in which Jesus was the only one worthy to open that scroll. He's the only one that has the authority to pass down judgment upon the earth. No man, no created being could only Jesus can because he paid the price for the earth. And it's in his hand to clean it up. Now look at verse 3. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which is before the throne. Now this, of course, is a a Jewish picture of of when the high priest would go into the temple and he would put the incense upon the coals in the censer there, which symbolically uh, represented the prayers of the people going before God, offering to God as a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Now, when I was growing up in the Roman Catholic Church, they would use incense quite a bit within their services. In fact, even a, as a young altar boy, you know, I, I, one of the priests asked me one time to to get all the incense stuff ready, and I didn't know what I was doing. And so I get the stuff and you pour it in this little thing, and you light this thing up, and before you know it, you couldn't even see because the room I was in had way too much stuff in there. It was clouded, it was like a fog going on there. He goes, "What are you doing in here? Burning the church down?" I said, "I don't know what I was doing." I can't tell you how many times they'd do that incense thing and it would just, I would barely make it out before heaving. It's like, oh man. But that's not the case here. This aroma is sweet to the Lord. Doesn't get him sick. Why? Because it's our prayers. Listen, God loves to hear our prayers. It's sweet to him. His ears are always open, uh, the Bible says to our cries. So this angel comes on and says in verse 4, and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Now, some speculate, and there's good reason for it, that these prayers are the prayers of the martyrs that have come up earlier from chapter 6. Remember, they were under the throne. They were the ones that their life were taken uh, during the, the tribulation, the tribulation saints, and they were asking, how long, how long will, will you wait, Lord, to avenge the blood upon uh, from your people? They were praying for vengeance upon the people who had put them to death, who had tortured and, and, and put their sons and daughters and children to death. How long will you wait until you make them stop? And you recall, Jesus said, just a little while longer, wait, wait. Well, now it appears the time has come. Vengeance is coming. The wrath of God is about to be poured out upon the earth. It's been happening to some extent, to some degree, but now it's going to be unleashed in an unprecedented way in chapter 8. So the angel grabs a censer full of our prayers. He mixes them with the fire of God's wrath. They turn into judgments. Look at verse 5. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. Kind of like Ben Stowe's sound system in his truck right now if you've ever been by Ben. <laughs> Actually, it's more like popcorn kernels and throwing them in a hot you know frying pan. They start to pop and go all over the place. The earth is just just uh, as thunder roars. They, they fall to the earth. and lightning strikes. An earthquake. Just divine judgment is coming. Then in verse six, so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepare themselves to sound. You can picture the scene. Maybe they're all lined up and they're they're lifting up the trumpets, preparing them to sound. And each one is going to step up step by step. And with each trumpet sound blasted, devastating uh, destruction against the earth as God brings judgment. This brings us to our first point, the first trumpet. Look at verse 7. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and the third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Now, I remember, John is trying to, to write, trying to record what he's seeing uh, is going to happen, But he lived a lot, a lot long ago compared to what's going on now in our world. But he does know this, and in certain places, green grass really doesn't burn so well. I think that's why you can have the fireworks we have out here, because so what if it lands on the grass? It's not going to burn. But but John is telling us, hey, the green grass, that's even going to burn. Now, what could cause something like this? Well, it could be caused by man. God could be saying, okay, mankind... Humanity, you want your own way. You want to have nothing to do with me. You, you want to sin. Uh, you don't want my intervention. Then, then I'm lifting my hand a protection from you. And as man begins to sin against each other, if I mentioned in the other studies, this could be the result of all-out nuclear war. You know, in a nuclear blast, green grass dies pretty easily. It burns. In fact, everything burns. So there's no way John really could understand what a nuclear explosion would look like. But listen, a hundred years ago, neither could we. Neither could we. But then July 16th, 1945, 5.20 a.m. in New Mexico, man turned the corner in the desert there. The first atomic bomb was exploded. Three weeks later, President Harry Truman gave orders to to drop the atomic bomb in Hiroshima, Japan. 8.15 a.m. August 6th. It leveled two-thirds of the city of 300,000 people. One of the most incredible acts of destruction in all of human history. Just four years later, the Soviet Union developed the atomic bomb and the Cold War began. A few years after that, November 1st, 1952, the United States tested the first hydrogen bomb on a very small island within the Marshall Islands in the Pacific Ocean. When they detonated that bomb, the explosion was so devastating that it blew a one-mile island clean out of the Pacific, leaving a 175-foot-deep hole in its place in the ocean floor. At that point, a frightening new era of uh, great proportion, apocalyptic proportion, had dawned. Man had turned the corner. The nuclear arms race had begun. You know, the largest nuclear weapon ever uh, detonated was set off by the Soviet Union in 1961, It produced a 50-megaton blast, about 3,333 times more powerful than the atomic uh, bomb on Hiroshima, Japan. It sent a mushroom cloud up to more than 130,000 feet in altitude, four and a half times the height of Mount Everest, as it sent shockwaves around the globe three times over. Just to give you an idea today, in the U.S., we have bombs that are over 30,000 30, times more powerful than that bomb. 30,000 times more powerful. Folks, the nuclear clock is still ticking. We truly are living in the last days, and these things could look pretty bad, and you might even get depressed. But that would only be the case if the things of the world were all you had to look forward to. Then this should really, really bum you out. Because even though man has a desire for peace, and it's one of the deepest desires in the human heart, the prospects of global destruction are far greater than the prospects for global peace. And even though man will continue to try to find peaceable solutions, the only real peace for mankind is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. There's no political figure. There's no diplomatic or military solution to the world's problems, to the world's dilemmas. Even if we could stop terrorism in the world, there would still not be peace on this earth. Because once we get one situation under control, then someplace else breaks out and war continues to loom and riots continue to happen and unrest will continue to happen. Why? But because of lawlessness, because of sin. Man's hearts are sinful because man has rejected God and his ways. Folks, we are in a tough, tough situation and the only solution is a revolution. And and I mean that a revolution to the right and a turn from the wrong. A turn from sin and a turn to Jesus Christ. A revolution of revival spiritually. That's our only hope. We need a lasting revival in the hearts of the believers first. And then as a result, we pray that there be a mighty move of the Spirit of God one more time before these judgments begin. To see men and women's lives change for Jesus Christ, we need to be getting back to those wholeheartedly serving Jesus Christ. That's our only hope. Jesus died so we might be saved from destroying ourselves, from destroying one another. Now again, this first trumpet sounds like it could be a nuclear exchange. Again, verse 7. Hell and fire followed mingled with blood and they were thrown to the earth and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass is burned up. Certainly, a nuclear exchange could do all of those, those things. But so could God. mean, God is a creator of heaven and earth, He can manipulate the atoms in the air to create the results of the same thing a nuclear bomb would accomplish. This brings us to our second point, the second trumpet doesn't get any better. Look at verse 8. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now this could be describing maybe volcanic activity, a giant mountain thrown into the sea. This could also be describing an asteroid. We looked at that recently. See, John didn't have the Discovery Channel to check and see what was going on here to know, but but we know that stuff like this is quite feasible. I read recently that the NASA is currently tracking what's called the 4,000 NEOs, near Earth objects streaking through space. Almost you know monthly, we hear of another potential strike. There was a National Geographic special with that referred actually to these projectiles that that John uses here in as Mountains Tumbling Through Space. That's what they titled it. According to the European Space Agency, of the 600,000 asteroids orbiting through our solar system, about 20,000 are considered NEOs or near Earth. They go on, In recent years, the most significant of these NEOs exploded in the skies over a city in northern Russia. The meteorite bust-up occurred in February of 2013. It was said to have been the size of a six-story building. Its blasts, equal to nuclear detonation, the shockwave shattered glass and injured 1,200 people. It would have been far more damaging had it hit the ground. Uh, Donald Yeomans, an astronomer at NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, made this statement. Space is filled with objects that threaten Earth. Earth runs its course above, about the sun uh, in a swarm of asteroids. Sooner or later, a planet will be struck by one of them. I, I, I mean, it's as if God right now is just holding it back. And these warning shots are being fired across the, the, the bow. But man, when that big one hits, it's going to be an ecological and economic disaster of unprecedented proportions. A third of the sea becomes the blood. A third of the living creatures are going to die. If you consider that the oceans occupy about three-fourths of the earth's surface, can you imagine the extent of this judgment? Here's what's also interesting. To know that the Atlantic Ocean makes up one-third of the world's oceans. And it's been said that one-third of the ships afloat today are in the Atlantic. So actually, uh, the, it could be a reference to the Atlantic Ocean being destroyed. Again, it's as if God is saying, okay, you don't want to have anything to do with me, then I'm going to give you what you want. It's like you're in a car with the Lord driving down the road, and He's going about five, 600 miles per hour. And you say, God, I don't want you to drive anymore. In fact, I don't want you in the car. So God says, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. Now you're in a passenger seat now your car's still going 600 miles per hour. What are you going to do? Well, God, you can't do that. Well, he can because he's God. God's going to leave you there. If you don't want to have anything to do with God, God's not going to force himself upon you. Listen, contrary to what many today are saying that don't know Christ, we are not invincible. We are not our own little gods. We need the one true God for our very existence. And those that are going to be going through the Great Tribulation will quickly see their inadequacies. They'll see how fast they really have no control about what's going on. This is radical. First trumpet brings hell and fire. Second trumpet brings a fireball thrown to the sea. And one-third of the ships are destroyed. And and, and then uh, all sea life is destroyed. One-third. And then our third trumpet, look at verse 10.3. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, a third of the waters became wormwood, and many di- men died from the water because it was made bitter. Again, any number of things this could be. It could be a uh, nuclear exchange, or again, it could be an asteroid uh, falling down from the sky. But we read here that God's wrath reaches the inland, and now it's touching the rivers and the fountains of fresh water, making it bitter like wormwood. Now, the National Geographic Society lists about 100 principal rivers in the world, ranging in length from the Amazon, 4,000 miles long, to the Rio de la Plata, 150 miles long. U.S. Geological Survey reports that there are some 30 large rivers in the United States, beginning with the Mississippi, which is 3,710 miles long. So think about this, one-third of all the rivers and their sources would become so bitterly polluted that drinking their water would produce death. That's what we're reading here. The, the word wormwood, uh, it, it means undrinkable. Do you know that, uh, that after uh, the nuclear accident happened in Chernobyl and Russia, milk produced as far away as Europe had to be thrown out because of the radioactive fallout. It was undrinkable. Farmers hundreds of miles away from Chernobyl were forced to destroy their crops and this is a relatively small incident from a nuclear reactor. Something else else interesting, the Russian word for wormwood is Chernobyl. So, so we know that this is some type of scenario that, that can easily happen on planet Earth. Salt water is damaged. Now you go to get a drink out of, out of your faucet and now the fresh water is bitter, it's poison, it'll kill you. I mean, could you imagine what damage a limited nuclear exchange could cause and how devastating it would be? Again, we see this damage happening as God has pulled His hand of grace off the world and now it's time for justice. brings us to our fourth point, fourth trumpet we're going to look at this morning. Look at verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Fourth trumpet, man, it's going to bring, it looks like air pollution. The the air becomes polluted, the sky becomes dark. And you know what? That could happen from nuclear fallout. could happen because of severe volcanic eruptions. We know that today there are great potentials for, for severe volcanic activity. According to the U.S. Geological Survey, about 1,500 potentially active volcanoes worldwide uh, today. Aside from the continuous belts of volcanoes on the ocean floor at spreading centers like the Mid-Atlantic Ridge. I mean, think about, remember, Mount St. Helens and the, the devastation that caused Imagine several volcanoes all erupting at once, or if man fired a nuclear weapon into a volcano. All kinds of scenarios can be played into this, but what happens is this cloud of darkness just, just goes over. And, and you know, it's just like what's caused from the trade, the trade Center, World Trade Center's collapse, it was just dark there. And an explosion that could kill a third of just about everything would certainly cause blackness to cover that part of the earth. I mean, we're talking about major, massive destruction here, folks. Physically. And yet, we read, the worst is yet to come. That's why the angel says in verse 13, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. That word woe is a pronouncement of doom. And it's a triple woe given here, in line with the three trumpets that are yet to sound. As bad as these first four had been, the last three, in chapters 9 through 11, are going to be far, far worse. You see, the first four brought about human devastation, brought about war in the forces of nature. The last three trumpets will involve supernatural demonic powers. And we'll look at that next time together as Satan with his demonic powers will actually come on the scene and be unleashed on planet Earth. We'll see behind the scenes of the human conflict to the ultimate spiritual warfare that is being fought for the control of the Earth. Now, as I read about this time, I know one thing for sure. I don't want to be here. (laughs) These things are real. This is not fairy tale that we're reading. This isn't science fiction. As sure as God's word is true, these events will take place. And there's only one way to be protected through all of this, and that is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. One day judgment will come, Jesus will return, and He will rule and reign upon this earth there in Israel. But today people, they don't want to believe this to be true. But they don't even want to hear it. Oh, don't talk to me about judgment. And they'll change, change the subject or they'll make a joke about it. But judgment is going to come and Jesus is going to return. And it doesn't change the fact judgment is going to come and Jesus is going to return. As we close... I want to point out four effects that happens in our lives when we read about these judgments. Number one, judgment frightens us. Judgment frightens us. But see, that's what it's intended to do. They are sent to capture our attention, to chill our blood, to alarm us to the reality of what's going to happen. and to scare the daylights out of us. That's the first effect judgment has. It arouses our fear. Number two, Judgment sobers us. Because judgment terrifies us, it should also sober us. Listen to these words from C.S. Lewis. He said, Judgment is God's megaphone to reach a deaf world. Man, that's, a, it's, it, that's a sobering effect that judgment has. People see what's really important it helps us realize our lives, uh, uh, to change our priorities, to reassess our lives and change our priorities. Number three, judgment corrects us. As we read about these judgments coming upon the earth, uh, it it strips away our illusions. It restores us to reality. It forces us to face unpleasant facts about ourselves and to look at ourselves, which then leads to number four judgment: humbles us. It's humbling to see that we're not in control, that 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 we don't run everything in our lives. We're not self-governing creatures. And and this fact will become a rude awakening for many in the tribulation. Listen, judgment will affect the rich and the poor, the popular, the unknown. It'll affect the Hollywood elites, those that think they have it all together. They'll find out they're not in charge. They don't have it together. Here's the thing, though, that we absolutely need to remember from this study that we're looking at this morning about the great tribulation that's going to come to this earth. And understand, and I said this already, God is not looking forward to this time. God is not sitting in heaven saying, "I can't wait to blast them. I, I can't wait till I get them." That's not God's heart. Again, Ezekiel 33:11 "As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn, turn from your evil ways. Folks, who knows? What's going to happen in the next few weeks when it comes to our election and the leadership of this great country of ours? I I do know it's a responsibility of every Christian in this room to make their vote count, to vote. But with that said, I know there's a lot of anxiety going on right now. But there need not be, if you're born again, if you're a Christian, if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you can have an assurance in your heart that God is in control. I think of the words of Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Wouldn't God say that? When His people were heading into captivity. For 70 years, the Jewish people would go through difficult days and tough times in Babylon. Yet the Lord said to them, I know what I'm doing. It may look brutal and bleak to you, but it's all going to bring about a glorious end. That's a blessed assurance. Now, if you're not a believer here this morning, then you should be very, very unsure about your future. Even terrified. Peter tells us in 2 Peter 3, 7 and 10, but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. That's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death, eternally separated from God. In fact, the Bible says that judgment will come upon all those that reject Jesus Christ and the sacrifice He made for you. You'll end up after the judgment, after all these horrible things. Then you end up in hell with this weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. That is, if the assurance that a person can have if they reject Jesus Christ. That's what's coming their way. Let me say this. Know this. No one will be in heaven who deserves to be there. None of us deserve to be there. But no one, there there will be, nor will there be anyone in hell who does not deserve to be there. But right now, it's the love of God that gives us a choice. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the question we have to ask, of course, as we close is, if Jesus were to come today, at this moment, are you ready to go? Bible says, all those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not all might be saved, or a good chance you'll be saved, but, but will be saved. So if you have not called upon the name of the Lord, if you have not given your life to him, I pray that you would make that decision today. Don't turn away. Don't go on business as usual. Give your life to Jesus Christ. We are told in Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. We are going to close now and enter time of communion. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time, Lord. Lord, we thank you that communion is a celebration for believers who have given our lives to you, who have received the forgiveness of our sin, that we can remember the sacrifice that was made upon the cross. So Father, I pray if there's anyone here that is yet to make that decision for you, that they would do so now commit their lives to You, and that they might receive communion with us, and we can celebrate together what You've done for us. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here this morning you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? You want to be born again. You want to know that your sin is forgiven. You want to know that if Jesus were to come back, that you would escape these judgments that are coming on this planet. If that's your desire this morning, to know Jesus have your sin forgiven, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning? Just between you and the Lord. Just raise your hand so I can pray for you. God loves you so much. Send a son to die on the cross so that you would not have to face these judgments. Just raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for... Uh, the celebration we have of remembering what you did for us on the cross. Bless this time, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.